Welcome to Hacking the Hustle. This is your host, Benjamin Sklar. And today I have invited Ori Goldman onto the podcast. Ori is the CEO of a company called Lofty, which is a leading residential real estate brokerage based in New York City. And he's also the CEO of a company called Leadist, which is a top lead generation platform for real estate agents based in New York. I met Ori years ago when he was working at Bank of America with my brother in New York. He's Israeli, has a background as a math major. He's a really sharp guy and I'm excited to talk to him today about what's going on in the real estate market in New York and lead generation in general. So excited to have him on the show and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Here we go. Welcome Ori to the show. Hello Benji. It was great to uh, give you a little intro before this on another recording. First time I do. Thank you. So, Ori, tell us, what's on your mind these days? Oh, man. Um, obviously, things have been really crazy. So, we're a, we're a real estate company that, uh, gets, that finds leads for realtors. Uh, we're in New York. We're only in New York. So, you know, since March, things have been very, very crazy. But even before that, it's been a crazy year. There were a couple of laws that were uh, in, in the state Senate that uh, were being considered that relate to broker fees. Uh, three months of pretty much nothing. At one point, uh, viewing apartments wasn't even allowed. And then now, you know, dealing with what the hopefully recovery looks like and when that's going to happen mm-hmm. uh, and, and working around that. Yeah. Your LinkedIn says you're the CEO of two companies. Can you talk about that? Sure. So on one side, we have Lofty, which is uh, a brokerage. We have realtors that work for us uh, and they help people find apartments to rent, sell, buy in in New York City. Uh, And on the other side, we are a lead generation platform. So one of the first pieces we learned when we started this back in 2015 was to be a successful realtor, you have to wear a lot of hats, six, seven, eight hats. And even if you're very good at most or all of those, which is very hard, uh, you don't have time to do it all. Um, and so we, we realized that uh, the place that, that agents, uh, like most salespeople, needed the most help was finding the leads, finding the leads and vetting the leads. Uh, and so we have this lead generation company, which acquires uh, leads and customers for our agents. Uh, We vet the clients uh, and that way the the agents can focus on uh, providing the best service and closing deals. Sounds really helpful for the agents. How do you go about generating leads? We're pretty, we have a pretty strong presence on uh, Facebook and Google in Mm -hmm. terms of uh, the ad side. Uh, And uh, from probably the second year of the company, that's that's been most of us building the secret sauce of getting really, really good at uh, our digital marketing, at our targeting, making sure that the people that are coming to the website and signing up are the right type of customers that we can help the most. And then once someone hits the website, how do you actually get them into your sales funnel? How do you get them to engage with you? How do you give yourself the biggest chance to provide them with the service that you know that you can. And so we've built a ton of automation around that such that you can really scale, you know, real estate, uh, is 
it still is and, and certainly was more before a pretty old school business from a service perspective. You really have an agent who's reaching out to 100 people. 10 of them are picking up. Uh, of the 10, five are serious, five aren't. The serious ones, three of them have friends that are brokers or they, they might move into their, their friend's apartment. Um, you have the agent kind of jumping through a lot of different hoops uh, and it's, it's, it's a difficult funnel to go through on your own. And so we created a lot of automation to allow us to do this at scale. Fascinating. What are your biggest challenges right now as CEO of Lofty and Leadist? Well, I'd say it, it's changed quite a bit in the last few years. Uh, we've, we've really built up this lead gen engine uh, to the point where uh, it's, we already represent more tenants than any other company in New York, and we're really trying to scale around that. And so we have this opportunity to uh, provide this service to the most number of New Yorkers. Uh, and now we're uh, trying to find other partners, whether it be companies that want to want to help their new employees or existing employees find housing in New York or landlords that are looking to fill their apartments or more specifically agents who are looking to do business uh, and close deals and find customers. We're trying to find more of those because our biggest challenge has been, uh, I guess, meeting the demand that we see. Uh, we've, we've often had to pay customers cash just as an apology for, I'm sorry, we can't help. We just don't have the capacity. Please don't be mad at us. Uh, so we're trying to make sure that doesn't happen again. Mom, what's your viewpoint look, moving forward for the next 12 months? What's your game plan? Well, COVID's a big question mark, right? I mean, we're seeing, we just saw three vaccines with really great results. Only one of them had final results. The other two were interim results. Uh, so I think the jury's still out on timing there, although my, my sense is Q2, Q3 is when maybe that's available uh, in for broad distribution of the public. Um, and so uh, honestly, we are here still grinding away. Every customer matters. Every deal matters. Uh, trying to basically make it through what is a pretty tough time in our business. Uh, the game plan for us is to set ourselves up so that uh, once that does happen and once hopefully we get back to normal, we're, we're off to the races. So we're, we're actively trying to recruit uh, realtors and, and partner up with landlords and, and other, other uh, companies that have synergies with us. What's the pitch to a salesperson? I, I just became a salesperson a few weeks ago, which, oh, I'm, really? pr which I'm proud of. Yeah. And I'm hanging my shingle with a brokerage out in West Hampton, a friend of mine, Lawrence Citarelli. And I have to wait two years to get the, the permission to become my own broker. Did you wait two years? So I started the company with someone else who had been doing it for two years. So that's how we were able to jump in right away. Uh, I, I don't have a real estate background. I used to work at a bank with your brother, as you know. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, I, I sort of started with this with someone who had more on the ground experience. Uh, but to answer your other question, well, I guess you're, you're our target market. I mean, not, not you, because I don't know how active you are, but let's say you're someone that uh, was, got their license and you're trying to do deals and just trying to get into the business. The pitch is pretty simple. I mean, right now, 
80 or 90% of people that start in real estate as a realtor within six to 12 months will leave. And the reason is you simply don't, and you meaning the average person, you don't have a big enough network such that, you know, this buddy or that friend of a friend or that uncle of a friend are going to do enough business with you to, to make enough income, especially in New York city, right? You need a lot of transactions just to keep the light on, uh, just to pay rent and, uh, and, and be able to, sur to survive in New York. So most people just don't have enough, uh, friends moving apartments or buying apartments. And so the biggest challenge is generating leads. What most people do is they will go into this saying, I'm just going to make no money for a few years while I learn. I'm going to join a team or a company. They're going to teach me the ropes. They'll throw me a little business here or there. It's not really going to be a you know, real income or significant income for the first few years. And it's something that very few people can afford to do. Very few people do, but that's sort of a traditional path. And so what we tell our agents is like I just told you, we're literally paying customers to go away. We have too many of them. We need more agents to service those people. Um, and so this is really a, a great opportunity for anyone who's, who's hungry and new to the business. We, we have the customers for you. So as long as you're willing to put in the work and learn and get better, uh, we have agents making six figures in their first year or second year with us. It's just not really heard of in this business. Yeah, I never heard of that either. I know I had the opportunity to work with you a few years ago. Should have taken that. <laughs> you still do, man. I appreciate that. You always have a spot with us. Don't worry. So what's something, what do you want to talk about? What's on? I, I'm changing my podcast a little bit. The last three, four episodes, I asked my guests the same exact questions over and over again to find okay. some insights and in how they answer those questions. And then I realized after listening to the last episode that I didn't like it. It, it seemed so mechanical. I didn't have any personality in the way I was approaching my guests. I want so, to talk about your business. Um, I, I'd love to hear about what the challenges are, where you are. I've been in your shoes. Uh, maybe there's something I can help with and maybe we can brainstorm together on just ideas that are interesting for both of us. Awesome. All right, let's talk about Forge. So Forge is a new company than what it was a few months ago. Pre-COVID, we were an online marketplace where real estate companies hired freelance sales reps to attend networking events on their behalf to generate leads. So we were in the lead generation business. And then when COVID hit, online events was the new thing. In-person events was over. And I realized that there was no way for me to gain significant market share in the online events industry, starting out with no platform when there's already platforms raising significant capital with generating significant traction. So I figured, how can I stay in the lead generation business in the events industry, but not be an online events platform? And I realized I need to get back to the, my roots, which was connecting to people, which was, and the community that I'm most familiar with is the startup community. So right now Forge is an online platform where startup founders get connected with investors over video chat. And our customers are startup founders looking for two introductions per week with vetted startup investors who fit their criteria. And we're doing that over one-on-one -on -one networking events think chat roulette or 
Tinder, but for specifically startup founders and investors over live video chat on our platform. And we just launched the platform a little over a week and a half, two weeks ago. And we just got our first customer. So that's exciting. And wow, congrats. First and, pan customer? Yeah, first pan customer. Congratulations. And, and you know, it's definitely, it's definitely a challenge. It's definitely uh, a lot of issues. Yeah, you're in the grind. Yeah, definitely in the grind. While in law school, a few that's questions. even bigger grind. Hit me. I have a few questions. So it's subscription, right? You charge a some amount of money per month. Does that mean that these are people that are pre-seed mostly looking for, let's call it seed or series A investors, but does that mean they're hiring you for those like three months that they're looking for the raise and once they raise the money, they are now gone or is the plan to provide them with something afterwards so they kind of stay forever? I want them to stay forever. That would make more sense. But it seems like if we can help them raise capital and that's our service, then there may not be a need for Forge as a paying customer and, uh, unt until they actually close the deal. So it's more so of like a short, short lifespan of a customer. So I'm thinking first thing is, especially when you're in a sort of high touch business like yours, like mine, the biggest thing, the easiest thing to miss at the beginning is, is the scale part. Um, I think that it's easy to talk yourself into, I have an idea. I'm going to prove that it works a little bit. Meaning let's say you found 50 customers. Uh, and the question is, can you ever get it to not, can you, but how do you get it to a thousand or 10,000? Where, where is the limit and what are the things that pre prevent that? Because I'll tell you, one of the things that I learned early on is, you know, we have this idea that will make it easier for people to rent apartments in New York. And, and of that came what, what we currently have, which is really a lead gen platform. Uh, but, you know, you have these ideas early on about, well, as long as this kind of works, I mean, this is going to be a billion dollar idea, billion dollar company, right? That's how all of us think, or that's how we all want to think. Uh, but as you sort of scale up, you start to realize that the biggest hurdles and obstacles are ones that you didn't think of that, that come with scale. And, and I think the question that I just asked is the one that I'm thinking as you're talking to me, I'm thinking, all right, so the universe is pre-seed, right? Pre-seed and maybe series A, but they leave once they raise the money. So you, you really don't have a recurring revenue model. You must have a recurring revenue model for you to get the valuations that I think you want. So you, the first thing you have to do is figure out how to get them to stay after you raise the money. There's a lot of ways to do that. I'm thinking once you're, once you are deeply entrenched in the process of raising money for them, what else can you provide the startup companies? Maybe it's uh, like cap stack management. I, and I know there's a lot of startups that are doing that. So it's lead you know, gen, lead gen for customers. Okay. So, so now you're thinking I'm going to find you the, the investors. And then afterwards I'm going to help your business grow by generating leads for you because I'm a lead gen provider that could work. Obviously lead gen, very popular right now, very important. But what does that mean? Does that mean you effectively become a digital agency because you're helping them with ads? Does that mean you're a CRM consultant because you're optimizing the funnel for them? What We're a networking, a networking platform where their sales team can meet more customers efficiently over video chat. 
So I'm, let's say, well, I might not be the best business because I'm B2C, uh, but let's say I'm a real estate company that needs to partner with landlords. Let's say I have a product that you install it on the wall and it does something to make the, the lights and the AC and everything more efficient. And it's like mm -hmm. 50 bucks a month and it saves you money on utilities and it's a better experience for the, the, the owner or the tenant. Now, I need to raise money. So you get me my investors and I'm chat rouletting with people and they like my idea because it's green and whatever, they like it. So now you help, help me raise money and now I don't need to pay you the 500 bucks a month for, for uh, the, the intro to investors anymore because I've already raised the money. Now, you still need me to pay you so you're going to help me generate leads. So what does that mean? How are you getting me in touch with the landlords. Uh, so I, I would say that's as you're building the piece of you got to, you have a marketplace where you need to find investors and, and startups. I would be thinking about now, how do you keep them? So you really, right. you have all these things that you're juggling and that's the fun part, isn't it? I, I, I think the way I can do that is by recruiting landlords as individual investors rather than what they do for their business and by recruiting them as investors or donors for a nonprofit if then by building that relationship i can approach them later for another reason which would be for a customer as a vendor interesting so that makes sense so you would you'd be you tell you would tell me I'm going to find you the investors, but not only that, the investors that I find, I'm going to try to have them be in your space such that they can maybe become your customers after. Um, I, I would, and, and this is, that's interesting. I would take that the next step and think how many landlords could you find me that would be that impactful to my business that I keep paying you money every month after. For example, in, in, that, in that, uh, that landlord business I just mentioned, you know, I, I need hundreds, probably maybe thousands of at, at scale. I need to get to hundreds or thousands of customers of landlords. So for you to be that valuable to me, I don't know, you got to find me dozens of customers, uh, which I think is challenging for you because mm -hmm. now it's like you have to be an expert at finding dozens of landlords. And then you have another business that is a, I don't know, a plumbing business and you got to find uh, you know, factories, manufacturers, and then you have another business that's SaaS. So, uh, you know, you're looking for event organizers. Anyway, you're, you're, you're now not in any niche. You're kind of just finding people everywhere. And that just makes your life harder. Way it's harder. Not, not and that's why I feel like I need to choose one niche. Like when we're talking about landlords, I, I feel like I can't do that because I need to focus on startup founder startup investors the startup ecosystem and when i get into real estate which is actually much more familiar with me and i feel like i have a better rolodex in the real estate community than arguably the startups it's uh it's it's killing it's two uh two different worlds and it's too hard to try and kill two birds with one stone i agree but then then along those lines, now that your investors are not necessarily landlords they're startup investors now you sort of lose that, the aspect we just talked about, which is that you need the startups to keep paying you after they raise the money. Mm -hmm. How are you going to do that?
I can also uh, flip it and have startup investors be my customers and be a great lead gen source for them because they pay analysts, associates uh, for sourcing. That's what their full-time job is. And if we can be a way to enhance that by being better than a LinkedIn or Crunchbase or AngelList where there's more like just listings where you can see people's profiles, we take it to the next step where it's the profiles with Zoom with Google Meets, where you can actually video chat like we are now, in an efficient, easy to use way. Yeah, so so that's smart. I think what you said, you're you're thinking about the big players in the business. I think that your first step would be, what are the major pain points? I mean, I would talk to say ten or as many startup investors as you can find, and and say, what's your biggest pain point with AngelList or with Crunchbase? Uh, because the truth is, they might say nothing really, or they might not know. Right. Uh, but then you can kind of dig and say, well, what if I could get mm-hmm. you more zoom meetings with these people and they might give you answers such as never thought of that. That's perfect. Or I really wanted to do it. Or I've tried that. I don't care. Or Angelus has tried that. I don't care. I think the, the most, it doesn't surprise me anymore, but the biggest lesson in terms of the scaling up and the call it growth hacking for, for me was how often you're so sure that a, 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 an adjustment will result in a positive change and you're just, you're just wrong most of the time, <laughs> regardless of the confidence. And that's just, that's, that's where the whole AB testing comes in, not just on websites, but uh, and messaging, but like on business model and, uh, and trying new things in general for startups, R- regardless of how sure you are that, that a change will be impactful. And, and I've, I've had some examples of just very, very obvious ones. You're just wrong most of the time. And by most, I mean like 90%. And so it's just all about testing a lot. And, and for you and, and anyone early on, just asking a lot of questions and trying to validate whatever the thesis is. And in this case, in our example that we're talking about, it's, what it's that you know angelist and crunchbase are missing something critical where you can fill that void uh hopefully they can't copy whatever you're doing so easily and that you'll have paying customers as a result and so you just got to ask a lot of questions and find out if that's true unfortunately uh it probably takes a lot of swings before you get a hit not you but anyone it's reassuring to hear you say that many of the decisions you've made were wrong and because almost all almost all almost all wrong and then you could go back if you could go back to the beginning of lofty what do you wish you had known differently or what else would you yeah well first of all it's it's probably that you know because a just from a psychology standpoint you know you get a lot of these disappointments along the way um and and by now we sort of approach things assuming we're just going to be wrong we have to you know, we're wrong until proven otherwise, not the other way around. Uh, so there's, there's, there's less like extreme excitement about, about this idea that, that anyone just uh, concocted. But uh, I would say the other one would be outsourcing and automating anything that does not require, you know, thoughtful decision-making. That's something we waited a long time to do. And in a business like yours, we're very high touch. We have customers. Uh, the customers are, for the most part, they're not signing up online and, and going through, you know, a add to cart and checkout. 
you know, they're signing up and then we have to call or text or email them and they're saying, I'm moving from California. How does this work? You got to call them. You got to vet them. You're taking them out. It, it's a lot of, it's a lot of places where things can go wrong and it's mm -hmm. a lot of uh, obstacles to scale. And along that funnel, along those many steps that we take from website visit to a uh, contract signed, uh, we, we've now automated pretty much everything, but that took two or three years. And I would say from day one, if the focus is identify what are the things that can be outsourced and do it, and then foot on the pedal a little bit earlier, I think we went very slowly. Now, one of the reasons is we never raised institutional money. So I think the two things that did is one, you know, we never had those sort of really high growth VC advisors who could say, go, go, go. You figured this out now, now, now go, uh, but also less sort of pressure to do it. Uh, there's good and bad to both of those. Mm -hmm. As the CEO of a lead generation business, what's your advice to me starting out one? Find the pain points early. Do not, like I just said, assume your all the theses that you're thinking of are wrong and 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 uh and work hard to prove otherwise so do not assume do not assume yeah i these all these startup companies need help meeting investors on zoom and it's like a win-win for both sides uh it's just easy to talk yourself into that so uh come up with a few ideas where you think there is a path to a business and I think go and try to validate it. Talk to as many investors as you can uh, and, and startup founders. But what you'll find from a lot of the investors is, you know, this is obviously a big diverse and by now, you know, the VC world and the startup investing world is a, is a big ecosystem. So I think if you talk to seasoned investors, they will be able to say, that's been tried and here's why it doesn't work. This is a pain point that I was hoping someone would figure out and for some reason no one did. Uh, and this is something I wouldn't use, right? So, you know, just try to validate as much as possible before putting your, your effort in. I think that's kind of the biggest thing. And I, I know that seems obvious in this whole uh, lean startup, mm -hmm. lean startup world, but it's, it's still something that even though I was a big believer in that methodology. You know, it's hard to stick to your guns always, but I would recommend mm -hmm. that. Yeah, I, I would say the same advice to myself, D pursue the lean startup method. But at the same time, you don't want to because that means you have to click pause and talk to people and do market research. When you're hungry, you're trying to make something happen and build. It's hard to be patient. That's what I mean. You just have to stick with it. You, you mm -hmm. must because, uh, other than that, again, you know, just 90, 95% of the time, you're just going to be wrong about it. And I'll tell you what I think is even more dangerous about it. The better you are as an operator, the more likely you are to get a false positive. Meaning if you're an incredible operator, grinder, hustler, mm -hmm. sales guy, that means you're more likely to get mild success to medium success with an idea that really doesn't work and doesn't scale. And then instead of failing early, like you're supposed to lean startup, it, it could take you years. It could take you a decade before you realize 
not really. This can't really work. Now, at that point, you probably still have a decent lifestyle business and you're learning so much. So that that's not like the worst case scenario, but uh, but that's not the goal, right? Mm -hmm. If that is the goal, that path is fine. Um, so that that's that's I found that to be interesting as well along the way and talking to different companies that in, to, in, in some scenarios, the better you are at it, uh, the harder it is to be, to, to find the right path. Right. All right. Or for the second part of the show, let's do a fire round. Okay. Why did you leave wall street and start your own company? I wanted to be my own boss. Uh, and I wanted all the upside for myself. There's a lot of unpack there. Well, I, I remember I, I did, uh, I, I had a, a trade uh, where the bank made a million dollars. And I remember thinking, maybe I'll see some of that. Uh, but I ended up not seeing, not a dime of it. Uh, and that was a, sort of a big wake up call that if I'm going to do something well or poorly, you know, I'd like to be responsible for the, the downside, but also get the reward if I'm right. And if I'm going to work hard and, and make it happen. What's your favorite book? I just read Homo Deus. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. Uh, by Yuval Harari, uh, which I think is now my favorite book. It's incredible. If you haven't read it, uh, hard, hard to put down. Why do you recommend it? Uh, I, I know he's he's pretty famous by now. I I didn't know about him. Just the way this guy thinks is sort of on a on a different level uh, than than anyone else I had read, and and the way that things are presented. Uh, this book is uh, it's his second book and it and it talks about how technology and ai are going to affect us in the next sort of 50 or 100 years and it's just fascinating stuff that i i hadn't thought about what's it called homo deus okay. h-o-m-o-d-e-u-s nice all right so for our last question the signature hacking the hustle question if there was one thing you could do to improve this world what would you do and why? To improve this world. You mean through my company or in general? In general. Uh, I'm not, I'm not in the, the green energy space. Uh, so I'm not, I'm certainly not an expert, but I think it would, it would probably be something, something there, uh, whether it be, you know, to pass a law that, that uh, countries have to become, carbon neutral by a certain date or, or actually come up with a product that helps with that. But I think that that's, that seems to me to be necessary for things to not be a serious problem in, you know, 50, 30, 20, 30, 50, a hundred years. I agree. I don't even want to let you go. I like having you on the show. I like asking you questions. Like, we can still I'm chat. I'm curious, like, what do you want to talk about? What, what's the topic that you're curious about right now? I like I like that's why I like talking about uh, what you're doing because um, I find the whole like come up with an idea and then and then work hard to try to make it work and and if you nail it you're very successful and you learn so much right you you would learn even if you find even if you're mildly successful and you you get on a path where you can start to grow a company it's just fascinating that the amount of not even comparable to anything you learned in school or on the job elsewhere. Um, so it's, it's just a fascinating journey. And then all the things we 
we spoke about about pitfalls and uh, the the likelihood of success, how it's so hard. I, I just find the whole the whole journey to be fascinating. You're you're sort of at step one, uh, so I mm-hmm. love learning about it. I want to help as much as I can. If there was only a checkbox where I could just go box by box, incorporate using a software platform, a tr- uh, find first customer, do the lean startup method raise capital is this all easy i just feel like now i'm just constantly watching youtube videos listening to podcasts by y combinator tech stars or xyz uh billionaire entrepreneurs and it doesn't really apply to what i'm doing day to day right now how do i how do i'm you know i'm surviving out here how do i build this business and I really, I could spend all day talking to advisors, guys like you, women like you, and that would be an incredibly valuable experience, but I don't have access to that. I don't know how to do that. Scheduling a Zoom call takes so many back and forth. People are busy. So again, I think that the first thing you must do, you have a couple of ideas on how this marketplace is going to work. You have to start talking to investors. I don't think the startup founders is well, maybe seasoned startup founders, but the guys early are like, yeah, if you can get me money, like I'm happy to get on a Zoom because I need investors. Uh, seasoned inve- uh, startup founders might say, yes, the startup, the, the investor part helps us meeting people, but then I'll leave and I don't care about the other thing you're offering, right? So mm-hmm. you got to start talk to founders to figure out what is the product you're going to offer after mm-hmm. they raise. You have to find a way to make them pay you after they raise money. Otherwise, you're not a recurring revenue business and it's, uh, it's just going to be very hard to scale. It's going to make your journey 100 times harder. And then I would spend most of your effort, probably 80% of it, on finding investors. Uh, I'm sure you're on LinkedIn all the time, but just find the second and third connection to people that you know and get on the phone uh, with investors and give them two or three of your main thoughts, uh, figure out where their pain points are and what they'd pay for. You're going to quickly find out that a few of the things that you really thought would work are not useful because of XYZ reasons. And that way you can now focus hundred percent of your mental energy on finding a different solution. That I think is the most important thing you can do is identify the losers early so that you don't have to spend time on them anymore before you go down any path. That's such good advice to focus on what's actually going to work and not spending on time on things that aren't going to work that are based on my unique opinion and not verified by others. Yep. Yep. You got to identify that early. What, what, what has a chance? You're not going to know what's a winner, but you, you, you might be able to identify what's definitely not a winner because Mm -hmm. you'll find people who will say, I wouldn't use it or it's been done or here's why it wouldn't work. You'll just get people, that have more experience that can hopefully give you that advice. And the good thing is that startup investors are very candid, so I don't think it'll be hard for you to kind of squeeze the truth out of them. Uh, but but that's what I would that's what I would spend eighty percent of of my energy on now because you're in idea validation stage. So that's what you should be doing. Right. Awesome, Maury. Well, thank you so much for hopping on the show. It was great Thanks to for see you. Me. I love the beard. I I would love to hear you play some piano. I can't. It's not mine. It's my <laughs> wife's. Uh, but I uh, hope to see you soon when this is all over. Send, send my best to David and the family, and uh, I appreciate you having me. Of course.
All right, don't Thanks, worry. Buddy. See ya. Bye. Thanks for listening to Hacking the Hustle. If you enjoyed the show, share it with your friends, and don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. See you next time.